This is DITV, Diversity and Inclusion Television. This is a podcast version of DITV, the show that's designed to unpack the sensitive, timeless issues that shape the way people think about diversity and inclusion, particularly in the workplace. So let our communication spark your conversation. I'm your co-host, Todd Gibbs, and today we'll take a look at the impact of the talks that many of us have in our younger lives, whether the impetus was one's race, gender, sexual orientation, religion, social class, or another diversity characteristic. In response to the CEO action pledge, Procter & Gamble developed a compelling video entitled The Talk, which depicted generational African-American parents talking with their kids about race. Being honored with the prestigious Grand Prix Award at Cannes, which is equivalent to the Oscars in the world of advertising, signaled to P&G that the talk was having the desired impact. Procter & Gamble's The Talk beautifully demonstrates that these talks are well-intended and designed to help young people shield and, and deal with issues of unconscious and implicit biases, and unfortunately, outright discrimination. There are some people who think you don't deserve the same privileges just because of what you look like. It's not fair. It's not. Remember, you can do anything they can. Difference is you gotta work twice as hard and be twice as smart. Repeated unconscious and implicit biases and sometimes outright discriminations based on your own diversity characteristics, can have a profound impact, which causes some to deny an aspect of their true selves. And this is known as covering. I'm Tracy Craig, Todd's co-host. In the next few minutes, we'll discuss this term, covering, in a very real way and talk about the fact that most of us have covered. In fact, Deloitte, in a landmark study, reported that all major diverse cohorts cover. Their data shows that 60% of women, 80% of blacks, 63% of Latinos, 83% of LGBT, and guess what? 45% of straight white males have covered. So where does the story begin? Some would say it begins at home, early in our lives. So Tracy, I think it's interesting you say that because I think there are a lot of people that aren't even aware that the talk exists inside lots of homes all over the world. Yeah, I mean, you know, the talk could deal with race or economic status or gender issues. It could even be religious affiliation. The talk is is central to defining a culture where difference is not valued. So give me an example of, of the talk. Sure. When I was a kid, my mother sat me down and she said, people are going to say that you uh, sound like you're from D.C. And so you're going to have to work on that. You want to make sure that you just sound like an intelligent, smart girl. And so you're going to have to work on how you sound and how you come across. It'll be hard for you because you won't even understand what they mean. But they'll point out things like, why does she talk like that? So every day, I would make sure that I was articulate and I sounded smart. I sounded intelligent because I didn't want to be labeled as the black girl from D.C. In an environment where there weren't other people that looked like me, I wanted to make sure that my ethnicity didn't stand out. Really, I was covering. I was covering the fact that I'm, I'm just a girl from D.C. 
So as a white male, have you ever covered? Well, sure. I uh, I grew up as sort of a poor kid in, in southern West Virginia, in the Appalachian coal fields. And it was very disconnected from the rest of the world, surrounded by mountains. It took two hours to get to anywhere. And because of that, uh, we all had our own sort of regional dialect. And so as a little hillbilly boy, I used to talk like this. And I was sat down by my parents and said, son, if you never want to leave here, that's fine. You'll fit in just fine here. But if you want to get out there and see the whole wide world, then you're going to have to learn how to speak differently. And so I would sit in front of the mirror as a young child, 12, 13 years old, and I would practice saying things. My favorite restaurant was uh, the hamburger place, Wendy's. But as a little kid, I said, Wendy's. And they would correct me. No, it's Wendy's. You're going to Wendy's. And so I would practice that over and over again because I wanted to be able to fit in. And sure enough, as I got into uh, junior high and high school and I began to travel and visit at colleges and, and uh, enter the workplace, I was able to, to assimilate and, and speak with other, uh, like other people and, and sort of distance myself from that, that heritage. And, and that's not a good thing. I am who I am. I'm a proud West Virginia boy, and I don't need to cover that up. In the workplace environment, lots of people prefer to avoid their own differences, uh, mask maybe elements of their culture or their ethnicity that might bring unneeded attention to them. It's a fascinating topic, a fascinating piece of the conversation that I think is totally off the radar for lots of folks. Now, there's some real consequences to covering. I mean, in situations where you can't be your authentic self or your authenticity is challenged, it really becomes a problem. It's a barrier to you being the best that you can be. I think there's a conflict because the person thinks that they are doing what's best for them, but in fact, they're putting themselves in sort of a psychological jail where you're trying to behave in a way that you think is acceptable, but it's really getting in the way of you doing your best work and doing your job. And so people are are seeing you as something that you're not, and you become really good at it. And so one of the things that ends up happening is that you you stymie your best self. You you stop yourself from performing at the highest levels. And it becomes frustrating. You become frustrated at having to keep up the mask and keep the cover on when you really want to pull it off. So our culture often underscores some of the negative images that come through in the talk. It can become difficult to create a positive sense of self when cultural images that you see on television or on the Internet suggest that certain groups are preferred to others. Myra, a first-generation Cuban-American, has been in the workforce for over 35 years. Yeah, I was probably about seven years old, so you know it stuck with me for, for quite some time. Uh, but we were in a bank, and we're waiting online, and it was my mother's turn, and she had some sort of a transaction that she needed to do. And when she went up to the teller and she was trying to get her point across, the teller you could just see rolling her eyes, very frustrated, uh, because she couldn't understand what my mom wanted, and then just said, just go to the side. And my mom and I went to the side, and we just stood there, and I could see my mom just so frustrated, and I got angry and frustrated myself, but didn't know, didn't have the means to do anything, you know, seven years old and whatnot. So, and, and I realized- And frustration was what around your mom being- I think my mom being treated the way, way, I didn't realize it then, but it was the emotion that I was getting about seeing my mom being treated the way she was treated uh, and dismissed just because she didn't know the language. But she was dismissed and there wasn't an attempt at trying to 
gain clarification. Well, well, what was your takeaway from that? Well, what I, I realize now, looking back, is that I started to disassociate from just being Hispanic. And I would never speak Spanish in front of anyone, unless it was my Spanish family. But outside, never spoke Spanish. Uh, I realized I didn't create intimate relationships with other Hispanic people, especially at work because I didn't want to be one of them. 29-year-old Kelly Marie Tran, Vietnamese-American actress, is now a force in the iconic Star Wars movies. But in this galaxy, she says her enemies come in the form of, of online trolls, who back in June, she says, led her to delete all of her Instagram posts. Now, in an essay for the New York Times, she's calling out her tormentors, who she says made her feel like she didn't belong and wasn't good enough, simply because she wasn't like them. She writes, their words seem to confirm what growing up as a woman and person of color already taught me, that I belong in margins and spaces, valid only as a minor character in their lives. And for a long time, I believed them. I had been tricked into thinking that I was beautiful only if someone else believed it, regardless of my own opinion. In her op-ed, she reveals her parents deemed it necessary to abandon their Vietnamese names so they would be easier for others to pronounce, calling it, quote, a literal erasure of culture that still has me aching to the core. She writes, this is the world I grew up in, not the world I want to leave behind. I want to live in a world where children of color don't spend their entire adolescence wishing to be white. She concludes with the powerful sentence, my real name is Luan, and I'm just getting started. So let's ask our DITV expert, Dr. Vanessa Weaver, to weigh in on these quotes from two women. Uh, Dr. Weaver, each of these women tried to deny their ethnicity by covering, but this felt different than the covering that Tracy shared earlier. Well, Todd, that's a great point. First, it's important to share that there are four types of covering. So all covering uh, stories don't sound alike, all covering behaviors won't look alike. And it's really important to know what those four types are so you know what you're experiencing when you're in the moment with covering. Can you run those down for me? Okay, the four types of covering are association-based covering, and this is when you avoid contact with people, with groups that are like you. Okay, so you're trying to avoid your own folks, people often say. Interesting. The second is affiliation-based covering, and that's when you try to avoid behaviors that people think represent your particular group, your particular race, ethnicity, or gender group. So you're trying to not act like what people think your group would act like. Okay. And then the third is appearance-based covering, and that is when you really try to alter some physical aspect of yourself to better, to better fit in. So, you know, we oftentimes say for black women, they focus on their hair. Uh, other folks might focus on how am I dressing or how am I looking. But the whole thing is how do I change my appearance to be more like the group I want to fit in with. Change your hair, change your clothes. And what's what's the fourth way? And the fourth is advocacy-based covering. And that occurs when you don't try to support or advocate for your own group. So say you're LGBTQ and uh, there's some issues around same-sex marriage or whatever. Um, and you, you yourself can be LGBTQ, but you don't really advocate for the rights of your particular group because you don't want people to associate you with that group and therefore you cover being you know, LGBTQ. Being very quiet, being closeted. Right. So both Myra and Kelly were practicing both association and affiliation forms of covering. But what's really important to note about this whole covering piece, and this is really underscored in a Deloitte study about covering, is that people do this because they feel it's necessary to fit in and be accepted. And the watch out is that when you when it becomes a habit, 
or when it becomes almost instinctive where you just are in the process of doing it and it's almost on automatic. So you really don't know. You're not even fully aware that you're engaged in this kind of behavior. Then that's really when you need to flag it. What's great about Myra and Kelly's example is that they work through their own covering issues and they really assume their own family names. Which is fantastic. Thank you so much, Dr. Weaver. So, Dr. Weaver, what are we supposed to do? If a person is covering, what are some of the steps people can take to uncover? That's a great question. First, what's important to watch out about covering is when it becomes a repeated and almost instinctive pattern of trying to fit in to be accepted. This is dangerous territory. So I'd like to suggest four steps for the individual to consider in uncovering. The first step is to commit to learn everything you can about covering and masking. The second step is to face your own truth. A self-assessment often helps. The third step is to get a coach or therapist to help you sort out and learn those behaviors that you engage in in covering and how you might change them. And number four, just do it. So we've spent a lot of time talking about individuals. It's different, though, for teams, organizations, or companies. Can you speak to that? Organizations and teams play a vital role in helping individuals to uncover. So one of the major things they can do is to create a safe space where people can have conversations about covering and how that is showing up in their teams or in their organizations. It's clear that conversations about covering can increase feelings of trust, belonging, and engagement for people and team members. But when people connect in an authentic way, not by covering, then their teams and their companies they work for always benefit. These open conversations become the talk at work. This has been a podcast version of DITV, Diversity and Inclusion Television, designed to unpack the sensitive, timeless issues that shape the way people think about diversity and inclusion, particularly in the workplace. So thanks for letting our communication spark your conversation. I'm Tracy Craig. I'm Todd Gibbs, and that's a wrap for this show.